0: Chapter 70, which follows Chapter 69, and deals with matters necessary to the clarity of this history. That night Sancho slept on a low, small bed in the same room as Don Quixote, something that Sancho would have avoided if he could, because he knew very well that with all his questions and answers his master would not let him sleep and he was not inclined to speak a great deal, because the pains of his recent torments were very present, and had done nothing to loosen his tongue, and he would have preferred to sleep in a hovel alone than in that rich chamber in the company of another. What he feared was so real, and what he suspected so true, that as soon as his master climbed into his bed, he heard his master say, "'What do you think, Sancho, of what happened tonight?' Great and powerful is the strength of love scorned, for with your own eyes you saw Altisidora dead, not by arrows or sword or any other instrument of war or by deadly poison, but because of the harshness and disdain with which I have always treated her. She was welcome to die as much as she wanted and however she wanted, responded Sancho, and to leave me alone because I never fell in love with her or scorned her in my life. As I've said before, I don't know how it can be that Altisidora's well-being, a maiden who's more willful than wise, has anything to do with the sufferings of Sancho Panza. Now at last I see clearly and distinctly that there are enchanters and enchantments in the world, and may God save me from them, because I don't know how to save myself. Even so, I beg your grace to let me sleep, and not ask me anything else, unless you want me to throw myself out a window. Then sleep, Sancho, my friend responded Don Quixote. If the pinpricks and pinches and slaps you have received allow you to sleep. No pain, replied Sancho, was as great an insult as the slaps. Simply because they were given to me by Duenas, confound them. And again I beg your grace to let me sleep because it relieves the miseries we feel when we're awake. Then sleep, said Don Quixote, and God be with you. Both of them fell asleep. And during this time, Hamete, author of this great history, wished to write and give an account of what moved the Duke and Duchess to devise the elaborate scheme that has just been narrated. He says that bachelor Sanson Carrasco, not having forgotten when the Knight of the Mirrors was vanquished and overthrown by Don Quixote, a defeat and a fall that ruined and destroyed all his plans, wanted to try his hand again, hoping for better success than before. And so, learning from the page who carried the letter and gift to Teresa Panza, Sancho's wife, where Don Quixote was, he found new arms and another horse, and on his shield he put the white moon and had all of it carried by a mule, led by a peasant, and not Tomei Sesial, his former squire, so that he would not be recognized by Sancho or Don Quixote and so he came to the castle of the duke, who informed him of the direction and route Don Quixote had taken and of his intention to appear in the jousts at Saragossa. He also told him of the tricks that had been played on Don Quixote and of the scheme for disenchanting Dulcinea that would have to take place at the expense of Sancho's hindquarters. Finally, he recounted the trick that Sancho had played on his master, leading him to believe that Dulcinea had been enchanted, and transformed into a peasant girl, and how his wife, the Duchess, led Sancho to believe that he was the one deceived because Dulcinea really was enchanted. The bachelor laughed a good deal and marveled as he considered Sancho's shrewdness and simplicity and the extremes of Don Quixote's madness. The duke asked if he found Don Quixote, and regardless of whether he defeated him or not, that he return and tell him what had occurred. The bachelor agreed and set out to look for him. He did not find him in Saragossa, and continued on his way, and what has already been related happened to him. He returned to the castle of the duke, and told him everything, including the conditions of their combat. And he said that Don Quixote was already returning home to keep, like a good knight-errant, his promise to withdraw to his village for a year, in which time it might be, said the bachelor, that his madness would be cured for this was the purpose that had moved him to assume those disguises, since it was a sad thing for a gentleman as intelligent as Don Quixote to be mad. With this, he took his leave of the duke and returned to his village and waited there for Don Quixote, who was riding behind him. This gave the duke the opportunity to arrange the deception. Such was the pleasure he derived from matters concerning Sancho and Don Quixote he sent out many of his servants on foot and on horseback to search roads close to and far from the castle, all the ones he imagined Don Quixote might use to return home, so that either willingly or by force they could bring him back to the castle if they found him. They did find him, and they so informed the Duke, who had already arranged what was to be done, and as soon as he had been informed of their arrival, he ordered the torches lit and the lamps placed in the courtyard and Altisidora to climb the catafalque, and all the devices that have been recounted performed so vividly and realistically that there was very little difference between them and the truth. Side Hamete goes on to say that, in his opinion, the deceivers are as mad as the deceived, and that the duke and duchess came very close to seeming like fools, since they went to such lengths to deceive two fools who, one sleeping soundly and the other keeping watch over his unrestrained thoughts, were overtaken by daylight, and filled with the desire to arise, for the feather-beds of idleness never gave pleasure to Don Quixote, whether he was the vanquished or the victor. Altisidora, restored to life, in Don Quixote's opinion, followed the whim of her master and mistress, and crowned with the same garland she had worn on the catafalque, and dressed in a tunic of white taffeta sewn with gold flowers, and with her hair hanging loose down her back and leaning on a staff of fine black ebony, she entered Don Quixote's room. Her presence disquieted and confused him, and he covered and concealed himself almost completely under the sheets and blankets on the bed, his tongue silenced, unable to utter a single courtesy. Altisidora sat on a chair near the head of his bed, and after heaving a great sigh, in a faint and piteous voice she said, When high-born women and secluded maidens trample on their honor and give permission to their tongues to break free of all restraints and proclaim in public the secrets hidden in their hearts, they find themselves in desperate circumstances. I, Senor Don Quixote of La Mancha, am one of these afflicted, vanquished, enamored, but with it all long-suffering and modest so much so, and so much of each, that my silence made my heart burst, and I lost my life. For two days, on account of the harshness with which you have treated me, O oh, unfeeling night, O oh, harder than marble to my complaints, I was dead, or at least judged to be so by those who saw me. And if it had not been that love took pity on me and placed the remedy in the sufferings of this good squire, I would have remained in the next world. Love could just as well have placed them in the sufferings of my donkey, and I would have thanked him for that. But tell me, Signora, and may heaven find you another lover, more tender-hearted than my master, what did you see in the next world?' "'What's it like in hell, because whoever dies in despair is bound to go there?' "'To tell the truth,' responded Altisidora, "'I probably didn't die completely, because I didn't enter hell, "'and if I had, I really couldn't have left, even if I'd wanted to. "'The truth is, I reached the gate, where about a dozen devils were playing pelota.' all of them in tights and doublets, their collars trimmed with borders of Flemish lace and cuffs of the same material, exposing four fingers' width of arm so that their hands appeared longer, and in them they were holding bats of fire, and what amazed me most was that instead of balls they were using books, apparently full of wind and trash, which was something marvellous and novel.' But this did not amaze me as much as seeing that, although it is natural for players to be happy when they win and sad when they lose, in that game everybody was grumbling, everybody was quarreling, and everybody was cursing. That's not surprising, responded Sancho, because devils, whether they play or not, can never be happy, whether they win or not. That must be true, responded Altisidora. But there's something else that also surprises me. I mean, surprised me then. And it was that, at the first folly, there wasn't a ball left in play that was in condition to be used again. And so they went through books, new and old, which was a remarkable thing to see. One of them, brand new and nicely bound, was hit so hard that its innards spilled out and its pages were scattered. One devil said to another, "'See what book that is.' And the other devil responded, "'This is the second part of the history of Don Quixote of La Mancha, composed not by Cide Hamete, its first author, but by an Aragonese who is, he says, a native of Tordesillas.' "'Take it away from here,' responded the other devil, "'and throw it into the pit of hell so that my eyes never see it again.' "'Is it so bad?' responded the other one. "'So bad,' replied the first, "'that if I myself set out to make it worse—' I would fail. And they continued with their game, hitting other books, and I, because I had heard the name of Don Quixote, whom I love and adore so passionately, did my best to keep this vision in my memory. It must have been a vision, no doubt about it, said Don Quixote, because there is no other eye in the world. "'and that history is already being passed from hand to hand, "'but stops in none because everyone's foot is kicking it along. "'I have not been perturbed to hear that I wander "'like a shade in the darkness of the abyss "'or in the light of the world "'because I am not the one told about in that history. "'If it is good, faithful and true, it will have centuries of life. "'But if it is bad, the road will not be long between its birth and its grave. Altisidora was going to continue her complaints about Don Quixote when the knight said to her, As I have often told you, senora, I am grieved that you have turned your thoughts to me, for they can sooner be thanked than remedied by mine. I was born to belong to Dulcinea of Toboso, and the fates, if there are any, have dedicated me to her, and to think that any other beauty can occupy the place she has in my soul is to think the impossible. This is sufficient discouragement for you to withdraw inside the borders of your modesty, for no one can be obliged to do the impossible.' Hearing which, Altisidora, showing signs of anger and vexation, said, "'Good Lord! Don codfish! With a soul of metal, like the pit of a date!' Harder and more stubborn than a peasant when he has his mind set on something. If I get near you, I'll scratch out your eyes. Do you think by any chance, Don defeated, Don battered, that I died for you? Everything you saw tonight was pretense. I'm not the kind of woman who would let herself suffer as much as the dirt under her fingernail, much less die on account of nonsense like that. I believe it, said Sancho, because all this about lovers dying makes me laugh. They can say it easily enough, but doing it is a story only Judas would believe. While they were having this conversation, the musician, singer, and poet, who had sung the two stanzas already described, came in, and making a deep bow to Don Quixote, he said, Senor Knight, your grace should consider and count me in the number of your greatest admirers, for I have been devoted to you for some time now, as much for your fame as for your exploits. Don Quixote responded, "'Your grace should tell me who you are "'so that my courtesy may respond to your merits.' "'The youth responded that he was the musician "'and panegyrist of the previous night. "'Certainly,' replied Don Quixote, "'your grace has an excellent voice. "'But what you sang did not seem very appropriate to me. "'What do stanzas by Garcilaso have to do "'with the death of this lady?' Your Grace should not be surprised at that, responded the musician, for among the untutored poets of our day, the custom is for each to write however he wishes, and steal from whomever he wishes, regardless of whether or not it suits his intention. And there is no foolishness, either sung or written, that is not attributed to poetic license. Don Quixote wished to respond but was prevented from doing so by the duke and duchess, who came in to see him, and they had a long and pleasant conversation, in which Sancho said so many amusing things and so many clever things that the duke and duchess were once again astounded by his simplicity and his shrewdness. Don Quixote asked them to give him permission to depart that very day, because it is more seemly for defeated knights like him to sleep in pigsties." "'rather than in royal palaces. "'They gave it willingly, "'and the Duchess asked if Altisidora remained in his good graces. "'He responded, "'Señora, your ladyship should know "'that all the problems afflicting this maiden are born of idleness, "'and the remedy lies in honest and constant labour. "'She has told me that they use lace trimmings in hell, "'and since she must know how to make them,' she should never let them out of her hands. If she is occupied in moving the bobbins, the image or images of what she desires will not move through her imagination, and this is the truth. This is my opinion, and this is my advice. And mine, added Sancho, for I've never seen in all my life a lace maker who's died for love. Maidens who are occupied think more about finishing their tasks than about love. At least that's true for me, because when I'm busy digging, I never think about my better half, I mean my Teresa Panza, and I love her more than my eyelashes. Well said, Sancho, said the Duchess. From now on, I shall keep my Altisidora busy doing needlework, which she does extremely well. There's no reason, Signora, responded Altisidora, to make use of this remedy, for consideration of the cruelties this wicked vagrant has inflicted on me will wipe him from my memory with no need for other measures. And, with the permission of your Highness, I should like to leave now, in order not to have before my eyes not only his sorrowful face, but his hideous and hateful features. That seems to me, said the Duke, like the old saying, because the one who says insults is very close to forgiving. Altisidora made a show of drying her tears with a handkerchief, and after curtsying to her master and mistress, she left the room. "'Go in peace,' said Sancho. "'Poor maiden, go in peace. "'I mean, you have bad luck because you fell in love "'with a soul of a grass and a heart of oak.' By my faith, if you'd fallen in love with me, you'd be singing a different tune. The conversation came to an end, and Don Quixote dressed, dined with the duke and duchess, and departed that afternoon. Chapter 71 What befell Don Quixote and his squire Sancho as they were travelling to their village. The vanquished and exhausted Don Quixote was extremely melancholy on the one hand and very happy on the other. His sadness was caused by his defeat, and his happiness by his consideration of Sancho's virtue and how it had been demonstrated in the resurrection of Altisidora, even though, he had felt certain reservations when he persuaded himself that the enamored maiden had in fact been dead. Sancho was not at all happy because it made him sad to see that Altisidora had not kept her promise to give him the chemises. And going back and forth over this, he said to his master, The truth is, senor, that I am the most unfortunate doctor one could find anywhere in the world, where a physician can kill the sick person he's treating and wants to be paid for his work, which is nothing but signing a piece of paper for some medicines that are made not by him but by the apothecary, and that's the whole swindle. But when other people's well-being costs me drops of blood, slaps, pinches, pinpricks, and lashes, they don't give me an ardite. Well, I swear that if they bring me another patient, before I cure anybody— "'They'll have to grease my palm, "'because if the abbot sings, he eats his supper. "'And I don't want to believe that heaven gave me this virtue "'to use for others at no charge.' "'You are right, Sancho, my friend,' responded Don Quixote. "'And it was very wrong of Altisidora "'not to give you the chemises she promised. "'Although your virtue is gratis data given free of charge "'and has not cost you any study at all, "'for suffering torments on your person is more than study. "'As for me,' I can tell you that if you wanted payment for the lashes of Dulcinea's disenchantment, I should have given it to you gladly, but I do not know if payment would suit the cure, and I would not want rewards to interfere with the treatment. Even so, it seems to me that nothing would be lost if we tried it. Decide, Sancho, how much you want, and then flog yourself and pay yourself in cash, and by your own hand, for you are carrying my money. At this offer, Sancho opened his eyes and ears at least a span and consented in his heart to flog himself willingly. And he said to his master, Well, now, senor, I'm getting ready to do what your grace desires and to make a little profit, too, because the love I have for my children and my wife makes me seem greedy. Tell me, Your Grace, how much will you pay me for each lash I give myself? If I were to pay you, Sancho, responded Don Quixote, according to what the greatness and nobility of this remedy deserve, the treasure of Venice and the mines of Potosi would not be enough. Estimate how much of my money you are carrying, and then set a price for each lash. The lashes, responded Sancho, amount to three thousand three hundred and a few. Of those, I have given myself five. That leaves the rest. Let the five count as those few, and we come to the three thousand and three hundred, which, at a quartillo each, and I won't do it for less, even if the whole world ordered me to, comes to three thousand and three hundred quartillos, and that three thousand comes to fifteen hundred half reales and that's 750 reales, and the 300 comes to 150 half reales, which is 75 reales, and add that to the 750, it comes to a total of 825 reales. I'll take that out of your grace's money, and I'll walk into my house a rich and happy man, though badly whipped, because trout aren't caught, and that's all I'll say. Oh, blessed Sancho! "'Oh, kind and courteous, Sancho,' responded Don Quixote. "'Dulcinea and I shall be obliged to serve you "'for all the days of life that heaven grants us. "'If she returns to the state that was lost, "'and it is impossible that she will not, "'her misfortune will have been fortune "'and my defeat a glorious triumph. "'Decide, Sancho, when you want to begin the flocking. "'If you do it soon, I shall add another hundred reales.' "'When?' replied Sancho. "'Tonight.' without fail. Your grace should arrange for us to spend it in the countryside, out of doors, and I lay open my flesh. Night fell, anticipated by Don Quixote, with the deepest longing in the world. For it seemed to him that the wheels on Apollo's carriage had broken and that the day lasted longer than usual, which is what lovers generally feel, for they can never account for their desire.' At last they entered a pleasant wood, a short distance from the road, and leaving Rocinante's saddle and the grey's pack saddle unoccupied, they lay on the green grass and ate their supper from Sancho's provisions. Then, making a powerful and flexible whip from the donkey's halter and headstall, Sancho withdrew some twenty paces from his master into a stand of beeches. Don Quixote, who saw him go with boldness and spirit, said, Be careful, my friend not to tear yourself to pieces. Pause between lashes. Do not try to race so quickly that you lose your breath in the middle of the course. I mean, you should not hit yourself so hard that you lose your life before you reach the desired number. And to keep you from losing by a card too many or too few, I shall stand to one side and count the lashes you administer on my rosary. May heaven favor you as your good intentions deserve. A man who pays his debts doesn't care about guarantees, responded Sancho. I plan to lash myself so that it hurts, but doesn't kill me. That must be the point of this miracle. Then he stripped down to his waist, and seizing the whip he had fashioned, he began to flog himself, and Don Quixote began to count the lashes. Sancho must have given himself six or eight lashes when the joke began to seem onerous, and the price very low. And he stopped for a while and said to his master that he withdrew from the contract because each of those lashes should be worth a half real, not a cuartillo. Continue, Sancho, my friend, and do not lose heart, said Don Quixote, for I shall double the stakes on the price. In that case, said Sancho, let it be in God's hands and rain down the lashes. But the crafty scoundrel stopped lashing his back and began to whip the trees, from time to time heaving sighs that seemed to be torn from his heart. Don Quixote's was tender, and fearing that Sancho might end his life, and because of that imprudence not achieve the knight's desire, he said, "'On your life, friend, let the matter stop here, "'for this remedy seems very harsh to me, "'and it would be a good idea to take more time.' Samora was not one in an hour. You have given yourself more than a thousand lashes, if I have counted correctly. That is enough for now, for the donkey, speaking coarsely, will endure the load, but not an extra load. No, no, senor, responded Sancho. Let no one say of me money was paid and his arms grew weak. Your grace should move a little farther away.' "'and let me give myself another thousand lashes at least, two more rounds of these, and we'll finish the game, "'and even have something left over.' "'Since you are so well disposed,' said Don Quixote, "'then may heaven help you. "'Go on with your weeping, and I shall move away.' Sancho returned to his task with so much enthusiasm "'that he had soon stripped the bark from a number of trees. "'Such was the rigor with which he flogged himself. "'And once... Raising his voice as he administered a furious blow to a beach, he said, "'Here you will die, Samson, and all those with you.' Don Quixote immediately hurried to the sound of the doleful voice and the pitiless flogging, and seizing the twisted halter that served as a whip, he said to Sancho, "'Fate must not allow, Sancho, my friend, that in order to please me you lose your life, which must serve to support your wife and children. Let Dulcinea wait.' for another occasion, and I shall keep myself within the bounds of proximate hope, waiting for you to gain new strength, so that this matter may be concluded to everyone's satisfaction. Senor, since that is your grace's wish, may it be for the best, and toss your cape over my shoulders, because I'm sweating, and don't want to catch a chill. New penitents run that risk. Don Quixote did so, and in his shirt-sleeves he covered Sancho, who slept until he was awakened by the sun. And then they continued their journey, which they brought to a halt for the time being in a village three leagues away. They dismounted at an inn, which Don Quixote took to be an inn, and not a castle with a deep moat, towers, portcullises, and drawbridges, for after he was defeated he thought with sounder judgment about everything, as will be recounted now. "'He was lodged in a room on the ground floor, "'and hanging on its walls were the kind of old painted tapestries "'still used in villages. "'On one of them was painted, very badly, the abduction of Helen "'at the moment the audacious guest stole her away from Menelaus, "'and the other showed the history of Dido and Aeneas. "'She stood on a high tower and signalled with a large cloth "'to her fugitive guest who fled by sea on a frigate or brigantine.' He noted in the two histories that Helen did not go very unwillingly, for she was laughing slyly and cunningly. But the beautiful Dido seemed to shed tears the size of walnuts, and seeing this, Don Quixote said, These two ladies were extremely unfortunate, because they were not born in this age, and I am the most unfortunate of men, because I was not born in theirs.' If I had encountered these gentlemen, Troy would not have been burned, nor Carthage destroyed, for simply by my killing Paris so many misfortunes would have been avoided. I'll wager, said Sancho, that before long there won't be a tavern, an inn, a hostelry, or a barber shop, where the history of our deeds isn't painted. But I'd like it done by the hands of a painter better than the one who did these.' "'You are right, Sancho,' said Don Quixote, "'because this painter is like Orbaneja, "'a painter in Ubeda, who, when asked what he was painting, "'would respond, "'Whatever comes out. "'And if he happened to be painting a rooster, "'he would write beneath it, "'This is a rooster,' "'so that no one would think it was a fox. "'And that, it seems to me, Sancho, "'is how the painter or writer, for it amounts to the same thing, "'must be who brought out the history of this new Don Quixote.' "'He painted or wrote whatever came out. "'Or he may have been like a poet "'who was at court some years ago "'whose name was Mauleon. Leon. "'When asked a question, "'he would say the first thing that came into his head, "'and once, when asked the meaning of Deum De Deo, "'he responded, dim down the drummer. "'But leaving that aside, "'tell me, Sancho, if you intend "'to administer another set of lashes tonight, "'and if you wish it to take place "'under a roof or out of doors.' "'By God, senor,' responded Sancho, "'considering how I plan to whip myself, "'a house would be as good as a field. "'But even so, I'd like it to be under the trees "'because they seem like companions "'and help me to bear this burden wonderfully well.' "'It should not be like this, Sancho, my friend,' "'responded Don Quixote. "'Instead, so that you can regain your strength.' We should save this for our village, where we shall arrive the day after tomorrow at the latest. Sancho responded that he would do as his master wished, but would like to conclude this matter quickly, while his blood was hot and the grindstone rough, because in delay there is often danger, and pray to God and use the hammer, and one here you are was worth more than two I'll give it to you, and a bird in hand was worth two in the bush. By the one God, Sancho, no more proverbs, said Don Quixote. It seems you are going back to secret Erat. Speak plainly and simply and without complications, as I have often told you, and you will see how one loaf will be the same as a hundred for you. I don't know why I'm so unlucky, responded Sancho, that I can't say a word without a proverb, and every proverb seems exactly right to me. "'But I'll change if I can.' "'And with this their conversation came to an end. "'Chapter 72 "'Concerning How Don Quixote and Sancho Arrived in Their Village "'Don Quixote and Sancho spent the entire day in that village "'and in that inn, waiting for nightfall.' the latter to conclude a round of whipping in the open air, and the former to see it completed, for this was all his desire. In the meantime, a traveller on horseback arrived at the inn, along with three or four servants, one of whom said to the one who seemed to be their master, "Señor Don Alvaro Tarfe, your grace can spend the hottest part of the day here. The inn seems clean and cool. Hearing this, Don Quixote said to Sancho, Look, Sancho, when I leafed through that book about the second part of my history, it seems to me I happened to run across this name of Don Alvaro Tarfe. That might be, responded Sancho. We'll let him dismount, and then we can ask him about it. The gentleman dismounted, and the innkeeper gave him a room on the ground floor across from Don Quixote's lodging, which was hung with other tapestries like the ones in Don Quixote's room. The newcomer, dressed in summer clothes, came out to the portico of the inn, which was spacious and cool, and seeing Don Quixote walking there, he asked, "'Señor, may I ask where your grace is travelling? And Don Quixote responded, "'To a nearby village, which is where I live.' "'And your grace, where are you going?' "'Ay, señor,' responded the gentleman, "'I'm going to Granada, which is my home.' "'A fine home,' replied Don Quixote. "'But would your grace please be so kind?' "'as to tell me your name, "'because I believe it will be more important for me to know it "'than I can ever tell you.' "'My name is Don Alvaro Tarfe,' responded the guest at the inn, "'to which Don Quixote replied, "'I think, beyond any doubt, "'that your grace must be the Don Alvaro Tarfe "'whose name appears in the second part "'of the history of Don Quixote of La Mancha, "'recently published and brought into the light of the world "'by a modern author.' "'I am.' responded the gentleman, and Don Quixote, the principal subject of this history, was a great friend of mine. I was the one who took him from his home, or at least persuaded him to come with me to the jousts being held in Saragossa, and the truth of the matter is that I became very friendly with him and saved him more than once from tasting a whip on his back because of his insolence. And, Senor Don Alvaro, can your grace tell me if I resemble in any way "'the Don Quixote you have mentioned?' "'No, certainly not,' responded the guest. "'Not at all.' "'And that Don Quixote,' said our Don Quixote, "'did he have with him a squire named Sancho Panza?' "'He did,' responded Don Alvaro, "'and though he was famous for being very amusing, "'I never heard him say any witticism that was.' "'I can believe that,' said Sancho at this point. "'Because saying amusing things is not for everybody, and the Sancho your grace is talking about, senor, must be a great scoundrel, a dullard, and a thief all at the same time, because I'm the real Sancho Panza, and I have more amusing things to say than there are rainstorms. And if you don't think so, your grace can put it to the test and follow after me for at least a year, and then you'll see whether or not amusing things drop off me at every step.' so many of them that without my knowing what I've said most of the time, I make everybody who hears me laugh. And the real Don Quixote of La Mancha, the one who's famous, valiant, intelligent, and enamoured, the writer of wrongs, the defender of wards and orphans, the protector of widows, a lady-killer with maidens, the one whose only lady is the peerless Dulcinea of Toboso, he is this gentleman here present, my master. Every other Don Quixote and any other Sancho Panza are a trick and a dream. "'By God! I believe it!' responded Don Alvaro. "'You have said more amusing things, my friend, in the few sentences you have spoken than the other Sancho Panza did in all the ones I heard him speak. And there were many. He was more gluttonous than well-spoken, and more foolish than amusing. And I believe beyond any doubt that the enchanters who pursue the good Don Quixote have wanted to pursue me along with the bad Don Quixote.' But I don't know what to say, because I would swear I left him in the house of the Nuncio in Toledo to be cured. And now, suddenly, here's another Don Quixote, the one very different from mine. I, said Don Quixote, do not know if I am good. But I can say I am not the bad one, and as proof of this, I want your grace to know, Senor Don Alvaro Tarfe, that in all the days of my life I have never been in Saragossa. Rather, because I had been told that this imaginary Don Quixote had gone to the jousts there, I refused to enter the city, thereby revealing the lie to everyone. Instead, I went directly to Barcelona, fountain of courtesy, shelter of strangers, hospice to the poor, land of the valiant, avenger of the offended, reciprocator of firm friendship, a city unique in its location and beauty. And although the events that befell me there are not pleasing but very grievous, I bear them better simply for having seen Barcelona. In short, Señor Don Alvaro Tarfe, I am Don Quixote of La Mancha, the same one who is on the lips of fame and not that unfortunate man who has wanted to usurp my name and bring honour to himself with my thoughts. I implore your grace, for the sake of what you owe to your being a gentleman, to please make a statement to the magistrate of this village.' "'saying that your grace has not seen me in all the days of your life until now, "'and that I am not the Don Quixote published in the second part, "'nor is this Sancho Panza my squire, the one known by your grace.' "'I shall do that very gladly,' responded Don Alvaro. "'although it astounds me to see two Don Quixotes and two Sanchos "'at the same time as alike in their names, as they are different in their actions. "'And I say again, and affirm again,' that I have not seen what I have seen, or experienced what I have experienced. No doubt, said Sancho, your grace must be enchanted, like my Lady Dulcinea of Toboso, And if it please heaven, I could disenchant your grace by giving myself another three thousand or so lashes the way I'm doing for her, and I would do it without charging interest. I don't understand what you mean by lashes, said Don Alvaro. And Sancho responded, that it was a long story, but he would tell it to him if they were travelling in the same direction. At this point it was time to eat, and Don Quixote and Don Alvaro dined together. The magistrate of the village happened to come into the inn, along with a scribe, and Don Quixote submitted a petition to him, saying that under the law it would be a good idea if Don Alvaro Tarfe, the gentleman here present, should declare before his grace that he did not know Don Quixote of La Mancha, also present, and that he, Don Quixote, was not the one who had appeared in a history entitled Second Part of Don Quixote of La Mancha, written by someone named Avellaneda a native of Tordesillas. In brief, the magistrate gave his legal decision. The statement was made with all the juridical force that could be brought to bear in such cases, which made Don Quixote and Sancho very happy as if such a statement mattered a great deal, and as if the difference between the two Don Quixotes and the two Sanchos could not be clearly seen in their actions and words. Many courtesies and offers of service were exchanged by Don Alvaro and Don Quixote, and in them the great Manchigan showed so much intelligence and sense that Don Alvaro was convinced he had been in error, and even came to believe he must have been enchanted for he had touched two such antithetical Don Quixotes with his own hand. As evening approached, they left the village, and after about half a league, their ways diverged, one leading to Don Quixote's village, the other the road that Don Alvaro had to follow. In this short period of time, Don Quixote recounted the misfortune of his defeat and the enchantment of Dulcinea and its remedy, all of which caused renewed astonishment in Don Alvaro who embraced Don Quixote and Sancho, and continued on his way, while Don Quixote continued on his, planning to spend the night in another wood in order to give Sancho a chance to complete his penance, which he did in the same manner as the previous night, more at the expense of the bark on the beaches than his back, which he protected so carefully that the lashes could not have removed a fly if one had been there. The deceived Don Quixote did not miss a single blow as he kept count, and he discovered that with those administered the night before, they amounted to three thousand twenty-nine. It seems the sun rose early in order to witness the sacrifice, and in its light they resumed their journey, the two of them discussing the deception of Don Alvaro and how wise it had been to take his statement legally before a magistrate. They travelled that day and night, and nothing occurred worthy of recording except that Sancho completed his task, which made Don Quixote extraordinarily happy, and he longed for daylight to see if he would meet on the road his disenchanted Lady Dulcinea. But as he travelled, he encountered no woman whom he recognised as Dulcinea of Toboso, for he considered it incontrovertible that the promises of Merlin could not lie. With these thoughts and desires, they climbed a hill, and from there they could see their village. And when he saw it, Sancho dropped to his knees and said, "'Open your eyes, my beloved country, and see that your son Sancho Panza has come back to you, if not very rich, at least well flogged. "'Open your arms and receive as well your son Don Quixote.' who, though he returns conquered by another, returns the conqueror of himself, and, as he has told me, that is the greatest conquest anyone can desire. I'm bringing money, because if I've had a good lashing, at least I left riding a horse. Enough of your foolishness, said Don Quixote, and let us get off to a good start in our village, where we shall exercise our imaginations and plan the pastoral life we intend to lead with this they descended the hill and went toward their village chapter 73 regarding the omens don quixote encountered as he entered his village along with other events that adorn and lend credit to this great history and at the entrance according to sudehamete Don Quixote saw two boys arguing on the threshing floor of the town, and one said to the other, Don't worry, Periquillo, you won't see it in all the days of your life. Don Quixote heard this and said to Sancho, Friend, did you notice that the boy said you won't see her in all the days of your life? Well, why does it matter, responded Sancho, what the boy said. Why? Why? "'replied Don Quixote. "'Do you not see that if you apply those words to my intention "'it signifies that I am not to see Dulcinea again?' "'Sancho was about to respond, "'but was prevented from doing so when he saw a hare "'racing across the field, "'followed by a good number of greyhounds and hunters, "'and the terrified animal took refuge and shelter "'between the feet of the grey. "'Sancho picked it up, keeping it from harm,' and handed it to Don Quixote, who was saying, Malum signum! Malum signum! A hare flees with greyhounds in pursuit. Dulcinea will not appear. Your grace is a puzzle, said Sancho. Let's suppose that this hare is Dulcinea of Toboso, and these greyhounds chasing her are the wicked enchanters who changed her into a peasant. She flees. I catch her and turn her over to your grace, who holds her and cares for her. What kind of bad sign is that? What kind of evil omen can you find here? The two boys who had been quarreling came over to see the hare, and Sancho asked one of them why they were arguing, and the one who had said, you won't see it again in your whole life, responded that he had taken a cricket cage from the other boy and never intended to give it back to him. Sancho took four quartos from his pocket and gave them to the boy in exchange for the cage, and he placed it in Don Quixote's hands, saying, "'Here, senor, are your omens, broken and wrecked. "'And as far as I am concerned, though I may be a fool, "'they have no more to do with our affairs than the clouds of yesteryear.' And if I remember correctly, I've heard the priest in our village say that it isn't right for sensible Christians to heed this kind of nonsense, and even your grace has told me the same thing, letting me know that Christians who paid attention to omens were fools. But there's no need to spend any more time on this. Let's go on into our village. The hunters rode up, asked for their hair, and Don Quixote gave it to them. He and Sancho went on, and at the entrance to the village they encountered the priest and bachelor Carrasco praying in a small meadow. And it should be noted here that Sancho Panza had draped the buckram tunic painted with flames which they had placed on him in the duke's castle on the night Altisidora was resuscitated over the bundle of armor on the grey to serve as his repostero. He had also set the cone-shaped hat on the grey's head, which was the oddest transformation and adornment ever seen on any donkey in the world. The priest and the bachelor recognized them immediately, and came toward them with open arms. Don Quixote dismounted and embraced them warmly, and some boys, who were as sharp-eyed as lynxes, caught sight of the donkey's hat and hurried over to see it, saying to one another, "'Come on, boys, and you'll see Sancho Panza's donkey all dressed up "'and Don Quixote's animal skinnier today than he ever was.' "'In short, surrounded by boys, and accompanied by the priest and the bachelor, "'they entered the village and went to Don Quixote's house. "'And at the door they saw his housekeeper and his niece, "'who had already heard the news of their return. "'Teresa Panza, Sancho's wife, had heard exactly the same news, "'and disheveled and half-dressed and pulling her daughter Sanchica along by the hand,' She hurried to see her husband, and when she saw him, not as elegantly dressed as she thought a governor should be, she said, "'Husband, why are you travelling like this, on foot and foot-sore, and it seems to me looking more like a misgoverned fool than like a governor?' "'Be quiet, Teresa,' responded Sancho, "'because often you can have hooks and no bacon. Let's go home, and there you will hear wonderful things. I have money, which is what matters, that I earned by my own labour, and with no harm to anybody.' Bring the money, my good husband, said Teresa, no matter if you earned it here or there, and no matter how you did it, you won't have thought up any new ways of earning it. Sanchica embraced her father, and asked if he had brought her anything, for she had been waiting for him like the showers of May. And she held him on one side by his belt, and with his wife holding his hand, and his daughter leading the grey, they went to their house, leaving Don Quixote in his in the hands of his niece and his housekeeper, and in the company of the priest and the bachelor. Don Quixote, at that very moment, without regard for the time or the hour, withdrew with the bachelor and the priest, and when they were alone, he told them briefly about his defeat and the obligation he was under not to leave his village for a year, which he intended to obey to the letter and not violate in the slightest as befitted a knight-errant bound by the order and demands of knight-errantry, and that he had thought of becoming a shepherd for the year, and spending his time in the solitude of the countryside, where he could freely express his amorous thoughts and devote himself to the virtuous pastoral occupation. And he implored them, if they did not have too much to do and were not prevented by more important matters, to be his companions.' and he would buy enough sheep and livestock to give them the name of shepherds. And he told them that the most important part of the business had already been taken care of because he had given them names that would fit them like a glove. The priest asked him to say what they were. Don Quixote responded that he would be called Shepherd Quixotis, and the bachelor would be Shepherd Carascon, and the priest, Shepherd Curiambro. "'and Sancho Panza, shepherd Pansino. "'They were stunned by Don Quixote's new madness. "'But in order to keep him from leaving the village again "'on chivalric exploits and hoping he might be cured during that year, "'they acquiesced to his new intentions "'and approved his madness as sensible "'and offered to be his companions in his occupations. "'Moreover,' said Sanson Carrasco, as everyone already knows I am a celebrated poet, and shall constantly compose pastoral verses, or courtly ones, or whatever seems most appropriate, to entertain us as we wander those out-of-the-way places. And what is most necessary, senores, is for each to choose the name of the shepherdess to be celebrated in his verses, the name he will carve and inscribe on every tree, no matter how hard, as is the usage and custom of enamoured shepherds. That is quite fitting, responded Don Quixote, although I do not need to find the name of a feigned shepherdess, for there is the peerless Dulcinea of Toboso, glory of these fields, ornament of these meadows, mainstay of beauty, flower of all graces, and, in short, a subject on whom all praise sits well, no matter how hyperbolic. That is true, said the priest, but we shall have to find some well-mannered shepherdesses, and if their names don't suit us we can trim them to fit, to which Sanson Corasco added, and if our invention fails, we can give them the names that have been published and printed and that fill the world, Philida, Amaryllis, Diana, Florida, Galatea, and Belisarda. And since they are sold on every square, we can certainly buy them and keep them for our own. If my lady, or I should say my shepherdess, happens to be named Anna, I shall celebrate her under the name Anarda, and if her name is Francisca, I shall call her Francenia, and if Lucia, Lucinda, for that's all it amounts to, and Sancho Panza, if he joins our fraternity, can celebrate his wife Teresa Panza with the name Teresaina. Don Quixote laughed at the aptness of the name, and the priest praised to the skies his honest and honorable resolution and once again offered to accompany him in the time he was not occupied in attending to his obligations. And with this they took their leave of Don Quixote, and implored him and advised him to take care of his health and to eat well. It so happened that the niece and the housekeeper heard the conversation of the three men, and as soon as the visitors left, the two women entered the room to see Don Quixote, and his niece said, What is this, uncle? We thought your grace would stay at home again and lead a quiet and honorable life, and now you want to go into new labyrinths and become little shepherd now you're coming, little shepherd now you're going? Well, the truth is that the stem's too hard for making flutes. To which the housekeeper added, And there in the countryside, will your grace be able to endure the heat of summer, the night air of winter, the howling of the wolves? No, certainly not. This is work for strong, hard men who've been brought up to the life almost from the time they're in swaddling clothes. No matter how bad it is, it's better to be a knight-errant than a shepherd. Look, senor, take my advice. I'm giving it to you not when I'm full of bread and wine, but when I'm fasting, and based on what I've learned in my fifty years. Stay in your house, tend to your estate, go to confession often, favor the poor and let it be on my soul if that does you any harm. Be quiet, my dears, responded Don Quixote, for I know what I must do. Take me to my bed, because I think I am not well, and you can be certain that regardless of whether I am a knight-errant or a shepherd on the verge of wandering, I shall always provide for you, as my actions will prove.' and the two good women, which the housekeeper and niece undoubtedly were, took him to his bed, where they fed him, and pampered him as much as possible. Chapter 74 Which deals with how Don Quixote fell ill, and the will he made, and his death. Since human affairs particularly the lives of men, are not eternal and are always in a state of decline from their beginnings until they reach their final end. And since the life of Don Quixote had no privilege from heaven to stop its natural course, it reached its end and conclusion when he least expected it. For whether it was due to the melancholy caused by his defeat or simply the will of heaven, he succumbed to a fever that kept him in bed for six days during which time he was often visited by his friends, the priest, the bachelor, and the barber, while Sancho Panza, his good squire, never left his side. They believed that his grief at being defeated, and his unsatisfied longing to see Dulcinea free and disenchanted, were responsible for his condition, and they did everything they could think of to lift his spirits the bachelor told him to be of good cheer and to get out of bed so that they could begin the pastoral life, for which he had already composed an eclogue that would put all those written by Sanasaro to shame. And he said he had bought with his own money two famous dogs to guard the flocks, one named Barcino, and the other Buthron, which had been sold to him by a herder from Quintanar. But not even this could bring Don Quixote out of his sorrow.' His friends called the physician, who took his pulse and did not give them good news, and said there was no doubt that he should attend to the health of his soul, because the health of his body was in peril. Don Quixote heard him with a tranquil spirit, but not his housekeeper, his niece, and his squire, who began to weep piteously, as if he were already lying dead before them. It was the physician's opinion that melancholy and low spirits were bringing his life to an end. Don Quixote asked to be left alone because he wanted to sleep for a while. They did as he asked, and he slept more than six hours at a stretch, as they say, so long that his housekeeper and his niece thought he would never open his eyes again. He awoke after the length of time that has been mentioned, and giving a great shout, he said, "'Blessed be Almighty God, who has done such great good for me!' "'His mercies have no limit, and the sins of men do not curtail or hinder them.' His niece listened carefully to her uncle's words, and they seemed more sensible than the ones he usually said, at least during his illness, and she asked him, "'What is your grace saying, senor? Is there news? Which mercies are these, and which sins of men?' "'The mercies, niece,' responded Don Quixote, "'are those that God has shown to me at this very instant, and, as I said, my sins do not hinder them.' My judgment is restored. Free and clear of the dark shadows of ignorance imposed on it by my grievous and constant reading of detestable books of chivalry. I now recognize their absurdities and deceptions, and my sole regret is that this realization has come so late it does not leave me time to compensate by reading other books that can be a light to the soul.' "'I feel, niece, that I am about to die. "'I should like to do so in a manner that would make it clear "'that my life was not so wicked "'that I left behind a reputation for being a madman, "'for although I have been one, "'I should not like to confirm this truth in my death. "'Dear girl, call my good friends for me, "'the priest, the bachelor Sanson Corasco, "'and the barber, Master Nicolás, "'for I wish to confess and make my will.' "'But the niece was excused from this task.' by the entrance of the three men. As soon as Don Quixote saw them, he said, Good news, señores! I am no longer Don Quixote of La Mancha, but Alonso Quijano, once called the good because of my virtuous life. Now I am the enemy of Amadis of Gaul, and all the infinite horde of his lineage. Now all the profane histories of knight-errantry are hateful to me. Now I recognize my foolishness." and the danger I was in because I read them. Now, by God's mercy, I have learned from my experience, and I despise them. When the three men heard him say this, they undoubtedly believed that some new madness had taken hold of him. And Sanson said, Now, Senor Don Quixote, you say this now when we have news of the disenchantment of Senora Dulcinea? and now that we are on the point of becoming shepherds and spending our lives in song like princes, now your grace wishes to be a hermit? For God's sake, be quiet, come to your senses, and tell us no more tales. Those that until now, replied Don Quixote, have been real, to my detriment, will, with the help of heaven, be turned to my benefit by my death. Senores, I feel that I am dying very rapidly. Let us put all jokes aside and bring me a confessor to hear my confession and a scribe to write my will. For at critical moments like these a man cannot play games with his soul. And so, while the priest hears my confession, I beg you to bring the scribe. They exchanged glances, astonished by Don Quixote's words, and although they had their doubts, they tended to believe him. One of the signs that led them to think he really was dying was how easily he had moved from madness to sanity, because to the words already cited he added many others that were so well spoken, so Christian, and so reasonable that their doubts were completely dispelled and they believed he was sane. The priest had everyone leave and was alone with him and heard his confession. The bachelor went for the scribe and returned a short time later with him and with Sancho Panza, and Sancho, who had already been told by the bachelor about his master's condition, found the housekeeper and the niece weeping, and he began to sob and shed tears. When the confession had ended, the priest came out and said, Alonso Quijano the Good is truly dying, and he has truly recovered his reason. We ought to go in, so that he can make his will. This news put terrible pressure on the already full eyes of his housekeeper, his niece, and his good squire, Sancho Panza, forcing tears from their eyes and a thousand deep sighs from their bosoms, because the truth is, as has already been said, that whether Don Quixote was simply Alonso Quijano the good, or whether he was Don Quixote of La Mancha, he always had a gentle disposition and was kind in his treatment of others. And for this reason, he was dearly loved not only by those in his household, but by everyone who knew him. The scribe came in with the others, and after Don Quixote had completed the preface to the will and tended to his soul with all the Christian particulars that are required, he came to the bequests and said, Item... It is my will that with regard to certain monies held by Sancho Panza, whom in my madness I made my squire, because between him and me there were certain accounts and debts and payments, and I do not want him held responsible for them, nor should any accounting be demanded of him, but if anything is left over after he has taken what I owe him, the remainder, which will not amount to much, should be his.' And may it do him good. And if, when I was mad, I was party to giving him the governorship of the insula, now, when I am sane, if I could give him the governorship of a kingdom, I would, because the simplicity of his nature and the fidelity of his actions deserve it. And turning to Sancho, he said, Forgive me, my friend for the opportunity I gave you to seem as mad as I, making you fall into the error into which I fell, thinking that there were and are knights errant in the world. Oh, responded Sancho, weeping, don't die, senor. Your grace should take my advice and live for many years, because the greatest madness a man can commit in this life is, is to let himself die just like that, without anybody killing him or any other hands ending his life, except those of melancholy. Look, don't be lazy, but get up from that bed and let's go to the countryside, dressed as shepherds, just like we arranged. Maybe behind some bush we'll find Senora Doña Dulcinea, disenchanted, as pretty as you please. If you're dying of sorrow over being defeated... Blame me for that and say you were toppled because I didn't tighten Rocinante's cinches. Besides, your grace must have seen in your books of chivalry that it's a very common thing for one knight to topple another and for the one who's vanquished today to be the victor tomorrow. That's right, said Sanson, and our good Sancho Panza knows the truth of these cases. Senores, said Don Quixote, let us go slowly, for there are no birds today, in yesterday's nests. I was mad, and now I am sane. I was Don Quixote of La Mancha, and now I am, as I have said, Alonso Quijano, the good. May my repentance and sincerity return me to the esteem your graces once had for me and let the scribe continue. Item, I bequeath my entire estate to Antonia Quijana, my niece, who is present, having first taken out in the most convenient way what is necessary to fulfil the other bequests I have made. And the first that I want to make is to pay the salary owed to my housekeeper for the time she has served me, plus another twenty ducados for a dress.' As executors, I appoint the priest and bachelor Sanson Carrasco, who are both present. Item, it is my will that if Antonia Quijana, my niece, wishes to marry, she marry a man regarding whom it has first been determined that he does not know anything about books of chivalry, and in the event it is discovered that he does know about them, and despite this my niece still wishes to marry him, she must lose all that I have left her, which can then be distributed by my executors in pious works, as they see fit. Item, I implore the aforementioned executors that if they are fortunate enough to meet the author who, they say, composed a history entitled The Second Part of the Exploits of Don Quixote of La Mancha, that they ask him for me as courteously as possible, to forgive the occasion I unwittingly gave him for writing so many and such great absurdities as he wrote therein, because I depart this life with qualms that I have been the reason he wrote them. With this he brought his will to a close, and... Falling into a swoon, he collapsed on his bed. Everyone was alarmed and hurried to assist him, and in the three days he lived after making his will, he fainted very often. The house was in an uproar, but even so the niece ate, the housekeeper drank, and Sancho Panza was content for the fact of inheriting something wipes away or tempers in the air the memory of the grief that is reasonably felt for the deceased.' In brief, Don Quixote's end came after he had received all the sacraments and had execrated books of chivalry with many effective words. The scribe happened to be present, and he said he had never read in any book of chivalry of a knight-errant dying in his bed in so tranquil and Christian a manner as Don Quixote, who, surrounded by the sympathy and tears of those present, gave up the ghost. I mean to say... He died. When he saw this, the priest asked the scribe to draw up a document to the effect that Alonso Quijano the Good, commonly called Don Quixote of La Mancha, had passed from this life and had died a natural death. He said he was requesting this document in order to remove the possibility that any author other than Side Hamete Beninjali would falsely resurrect him and write endless histories of his deeds. This was the end of the ingenious gentleman of La Mancha, whose village Cide Hamete did not wish to name precisely, so that all the towns and villages of La Mancha might contend among themselves to claim him as their own, as the seven cities in Greece contended to claim Homer. The tears of Sancho, and of Don Quixote's niece and housekeeper, new epitaphs for his grave, are not recorded here although Sanson Corasco did write this one for him. Here lies the mighty gentleman, who rose to such heights of valor that death itself did not triumph over his life with his death. He did not esteem the world. He was the frightening threat to the world in this respect, for it was his great good fortune to live a madman and die sane. And... A most prudent Side Hamete said to his pen, "'Here you will remain, hanging from this rack on a copper wire. "'And I do not know if you, my quill pen, are well or badly cut, "'but there you will live, down through the ages, "'unless presumptuous and unscrupulous historians "'take you down to profane you. "'But before they reach you, you can warn them "'and tell them as well as you are able,' Careful, careful, worthless idlers, let no one lay a hand on me, for this enterprise, O King, is reserved only for me. For me alone was Don Quixote born, and I for him. He knew how to act, and I to write. The two of us alone are one despite and regardless of the false Tordesian writer who dared or will dare to write with a coarse and badly designed ostrich feather about the exploits of my valorous knight. For it is not a burden for his shoulders or a subject for his cold creativity, and you will warn him, if you ever happen to meet him, to let the weary and crumbling bones of Don Quixote rest in the grave, and not attempt, contrary to all the statutes of death, to carry them off to Castilla la Vieja, removing him from the tomb where he really and truly lies, incapable of undertaking a third journey or a new sally. For to mock the many undertaken by so many knights-errant, the two he made were enough, and they have brought delight and pleasure to everyone who knows of them, in these kingdoms as well as those abroad. And with this you will fulfil your Christian duty by giving good counsel to those who do not wish you well." and I shall be pleased and proud to have been the first who completely enjoyed the fruits of his writing, just as he wished. For my only desire has been to have people reject and despise the false and nonsensical histories of the books of chivalry, which are already stumbling over the history of my true Don Quixote, and will undoubtedly fall to the ground. Wale. The End
1: You've been listening to Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes in a new translation by Edith Grossman narrated by George Guidel If you've enjoyed this book and this performance Recorded Books recommends Moll Flanders by Daniel Defoe narrated by Virginia Leishman and The Man of Property, the first book in John Goldsworthy's The Foresight Saga, narrated by Neil Hunt. You'll find a wide selection of titles in the recorded books catalog, including bestsellers, mysteries, classics, histories, and more. So to order another recorded book or for a copy of our latest listing, please call us using the toll-free number found on the back of the book. You can order by phone with any major credit card, or by writing to us, or by faxing us. Don't forget to ask about easy 30-day rentals by mail. On our website, you can browse the catalog, hear about the latest releases, place orders, or tune into narrator profiles and author interviews. So visit us there at www.recordedbooks.com. And thank you for being a Recorded Books Reader.